Good evening, everyone. I'm Doug Fullington. I'm so happy to welcome you to our PMB Conversations and Dress Rehearsal event for the season's canon. Momentarily, we're going to enjoy an interview with our artistic director, Peter Bowl, and choreographer, Crystal Pike. Crystal is just finishing a lighting rehearsal upstairs in the auditorium. So as soon as I make my announcements, I'll go meet her and bring her down. Um, the interview will go till just ahead of 6.30, and then you'll be able to go up to the orchestra level and be seated in the auditorium, where the dress rehearsal will begin at 7 p.m. And this is printed on the handout by the doors that you came in. I want to also give a special welcome to our guests from the University of Washington Dance Department tonight. We're really glad that you're here with us. So that, yes. Those are my announcements, and I'm very pleased to introduce our artistic director, Peter Bowl. I'm going to fill some time until she gets here. Um, a couple things I wanted to mention to you. I thought we might talk a little bit about the process of putting Season Scan together. It's kind of been a six-year process, which, you know, we spend about two years doing everything around here, but six is pretty extraordinary. Um, and that was when the work premiered with Paris Opera, and I was instantly interested and reached out to Crystal about whether this might be a next chapter for PMB. Uh, I think she might have said, you know, it's 54 dancers, and I might have not heard that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are 46 dancers, and we'll probably talk a little bit about those um, very important dancers who are actually our students who are in this performance. You'll see them tonight. There are 18 of them, and they do a phenomenal job. I, I doubt you'll be able to tell the difference because of the level of rehearsal and, and talent that these dancers bring to the stage. Um, this is also a co-production with the Boston Ballet. So a couple people are coming out from Boston to see these performances. Uh, they will do it in about a year, and then we'll trade the production back and forth over time. Because of that, some fun facts that we won't, don't want to bore Crystal with. Um, we made 60 pairs of pants. Um, I think we're going to be making some more as well. Um, and that took a couple of Seattle costume shops to do. Um, a lot of leotards, and everybody wears the same thing in this work. They wear these big, sort of balloony pants. Um, Crystal said it helped the dancers of the Paris Opera be more grounded. Um, their focus is always on their legs and feet, and this put them into the earth a little bit more, into their quads, into their calves. Um, and it has a wonderful homogenous effect, seeing everybody on the stage in the same costume. Um, the other thing that you will not see, which we'll talk about a bit, is there's a giant wall uh, that we've hidden from you so you can't see it. Uh, why did we do that? <laughs> that is a wall that is highly textured um, and it has some powerful lights on it and we do have a rear projection screen in front of that wall that captures the reflection in fascinating ways. Um, I don't think you'd know that fact unless you were here tonight. Um, the designer of the wall was talking last night and said, everyone should come backstage and see it. Well, sorry, <laughs> we can't bring you all backstage to see it so we'll tell you about it. Um, but, it, but these productions uh, are hard to get. We had to wait for the exclusivity clause to expire with the Paris Opera Ballet. Um, Crystal's time, she's much fought over, so to try to get her attention and time here. Um, and actually, we had phenomenal stagers who were with us for a total of seven weeks to put all this together. So that's the background. Uh, now you know. Uh, two stagers, in fact. So. Well, hi. Yay. <laughs> I was 
completely out of jokes. <laughs> so oh, I'm so glad you showed sorry. up. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank so you. pleased to have you speaking with us. And Crystal's just finished her lighting rehearsal. We've been running her ragged uh, <laughs> since she arrived in Seattle, but to, to wondrous effect. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Happy to yeah. be here. Yeah. Thank you. You live just up I-5 in Vancouver, correct? Right. Yeah. Yes. That's space and just neighbors. Yeah, neighbors. Yeah. So that's part of the reason that I think we've been able to have this proximity in your visits, and so it's been pretty special to get you here. You started ballet in Victoria, British Columbia. Is that right? That's right, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and last night you said to a group that you were always a choreographer. Yes, I've always choreographed since yeah. I was very, very small, yeah. and I've always loved making dances well just crafting things in general yeah. making things um, but particularly dances and uh, so as a, as a child growing up I, I studied all the different forms of dance um, that were available to me in Victoria at the time and I, I also choreographed and because I, I grew up um, you know in a small town that had the, lo the local competitions I had opportunities to choreograph for the, for the competitions and I choreographed for my high school musicals and um, I, I've organized improv jams with my friends and I made solos for myself and dances for other kids and so I've always done it. Do you have some poor siblings that you were always choreographing on? Or yes, I'm glad you brought it. Yeah, my two younger brothers also were in a lot of my early work. <laughs> yeah. Did they didn't become dancers? They did not become okay. dancers, but they were very good sports about it good. at the time, I think, I remember, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard that about writers, that writers know they're writers at a very young age, and I suppose choreographers or painters, people know their calling. Um, did you know you were a dancer as well? Were there two guiding forces in your creativity? I loved dancing. Yeah. I knew I was a dancer. I wanted to be a dancer when I grew up, and I was lucky enough to do that. But it was always a parallel path. I always did both, yeah. and they went hand in hand for me. Yeah. Career started with Ballet British Columbia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then eventually moved on to Frankfurt Ballet as well. Yes. And then you continued dancing with Kid Pivot. That's right. I started my own company when I was 30, and I spent 10 years dancing in my own work, which was really a nice uh, synthesis for me, bringing the choreographer in me, in me and the dancer in me together for that time. Yeah. We don't usually see that, where we think of a choreographer as being front of room to direct, and a dancer can't do both. How, how did you manage that? I mean, how collaborative is that process? You mean being a dancer in my own work? Yeah. Uh, well, it was challenging, and um, I would have to <laughs> choreograph myself into my work in a specific way so that I was able to come out easily and direct the show and take care of the work, um, and then sort of jump in and out. Um, in later years, uh, once the company expanded a little bit, I would have an apprentice or a, a young person in, in the group that could kind of stand in for me or, or take on my part so that I could, uh, yeah, take on the choreographer role um, and see the whole picture, and then I would, I would jump in. But the dancer in me, I mean, I was always left last, last, last. I would choreograph everything else and leave my own things um, until the end, and sometimes unfinished even, you know, by the premiere. But I trusted that, you know, if we were going to tour the work, that maybe 10 shows in or 10 cities into a tour, I would eventually... <laughs> you know, get it together as a dancer and enjoy it. Yeah. I just trusted that, I tried to just trust that that would be okay. Yeah. And it usually was. Note to self, go to the 10th city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, as I said, we, Crystal's been an angel with all of our needs and it, it's quite a grueling schedule, bringing a piece, this is a massive piece to put it back on. Uh, last night at 7.15, 
I took Crystal to our studios. Uh, we have a, a late night class run by Eva Stone um, called New Voices, and it is, is designed to teach young women the craft of choreography and the expression of choreography. Um, Crystal was going to do a stop by and a hello, and she stayed for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, they asked to show their most recent piece to her. How important is that um, mentorship and tutelage and, and camaraderie between mm -hmm. choreographers? Well, I love, I love what Eva's doing here, and it's very, very important to um, keep everybody open to the possibility of creation um, as dance artists. Uh, whether they become choreographers or whether just the choreographer in them is nurtured as they go on into their dance careers, either way, uh, it has a resonance and, uh, and, a, and a real effect um, in a dancer's life to think about things creatively and, and to be in a process as a dancer um, and to bring your own imagination and your own uh, ideas into the mix can be really, really helpful and, and, and a beautiful part of the process. Certainly as a choreographer, I love working with other choreographers. The dancers, and the dancers that I work with that are also choreographers are often the most fun to work with because they're the, the most engaged and creative and responsive in a process. So I did mention that to the group last night. Um, so it's a really important, uh, I think, dimension to their learning and it has a beautiful effect whether they become choreographers or not. Uh, just the act of making things is powerful. Um, I was very lucky as a young dancer in Victoria to have a, a teacher in my little, school, my little dance school who also thought that that was important and allowed us, gave us opportunities to make things and gave us studio space to play. She gave me the key to the studio actually at one point and I was able to go there, I think I was probably 13 or 14. I started going to the studio all by myself and I would open it up and just be in there all Sunday, just making up dances. It was so joyful. Um, I felt so just heightened and alive and present um, in, those, in those afternoons spent making things. So having that opportunity early on in our lives as dancer, as dance artists is immensely important. There's no other way to, there's no other way to choreograph really other than by choreographing. There's no way to, there's no way to learn the craft of choreography other than actually choreographing, I think. So the more opportunities we have to do that, the better. That's so amazing to have a key to the studio. I mean, yeah. it's also a philosophical yeah. way to think about yeah. it. But. Uh, in particular, this class is, is for young women. Um, there aren't a ton of women um, in the field that are receiving the prominent commissions or the spots with main companies. I feel that shifting, mm -hmm. but it still feels like a deficiency in the world of mm -hmm. choreography. Have you felt that? Have you noticed that? Um, well, I've certainly noticed it because yeah. it comes up everywhere I go and yeah. I get asked the question a lot, why aren't there more female choreographers? And this is, a, this is an issue that's uh, particularly acute in the ballet world. Um, and I don't really come from the ballet world. I didn't, you know, ever dance in a big ballet company. So um, I'm not really sure all the things that are at play. But um, there's, there's no shortage of female choreographers out there. Yeah. Um, there may be more female choreographers working in the contemporary dance world than there are in the classical ballet world, but that shouldn't be a barrier to having women working in, in ballet companies. So I think it's very exciting to think of pulling, as you did, pulling a choreographer from the contemporary dance world into the ballet world. Um, and then you get the, the double benefit of, if it's a female choreographer and it's somebody coming with a new voice and, and a, a new vocabulary. So 
onwards with that. Yeah, and Eva Stone is busy producing new voices yes. <laughs> on an annual basis that are inspiring mm -hmm. and excited yeah. to enter this world. So thank you. Um, I'd like to just, I want to dig into Seasons Canada, but first just to talk a little bit about uh, your recent trip to London. Mm -hmm. That was a massive project um, that evolved into a more massive project over years. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, so in 2017, I choreographed a piece for the Royal Ballet called Flight Pattern, and it was set to the first movement of Goretzky's Symphony No. 3, which I'm sure many of you know is a very famous piece of music. Um, it's called the Symphony of Sorrowful Songs. And in 2017, I made uh, Flight Pattern to the first movement, and I always wanted to return to the company to make the second movement and then um, they liked the idea and then the pandemic came and everything got delayed and I've just now um, put the rest of the piece on stage. It just premiered a couple of weeks ago in London. Um, a really powerful experience working with that music and working with that company. I had a large cast, again, um, 36 dancers from the company and then I added uh, six children and six nine, to ten year old, nine, 10 and 11 year old children and uh, two elders, who one of whom was uh, 79, and the other, I think, was somewhere in her late 60s. Um, I didn't exactly, I don't remember asking her how old she was, but <laughs> um, they were also a very, very powerful presence in the work. And that, I think, was um, new territory for me. It was definitely out of my comfort zone, working with children and working with elders who were also not dancers. Um, so trying to figure out how to deliver what they could do. And, and you know, make a nest that they could um, that they could inhabit uh, on stage that would support them and, and present them in a powerful way. So it was a great challenge. Yeah, and and you worked with non dancers, but um, this piece in particular addresses the refugee crisis, which is international. Um, and I suppose to address the refugee crisis with beautiful twenty somethings mm -hmm. is is only a piece of it, and the added level of humanity of children and elders. Absolutely, yeah. exactly. That's what I was thinking too. Coming out of flight pattern, I was like, "Well, I, you know, I, I tackled that content with, you know, a stage full of, of gorgeous people in their prime, yeah. um, and it was it was moving, and it was, you know, a, a, um, I'm proud I'm proud of that work. But I did feel like we were missing the rest of humanity yeah. in a way. And um, when I started on the second movement, I, I looked to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child as a, as a sort of a first source of inspiration. And having made a piece about uh, the refugee crisis um, really brought to mind the, the question of children and all of that and our responsibility and our duty and our promise to protect them. So I, I was trying to figure out how to put that on stage. And um, the second movement of the piece is called Covenant and it has 18 adult dancers from the company. Um, and six of, of, of these beautiful kids, these beautiful kids. And, um, and it was a, yeah, an experiment in seeing if I could translate the idea of, of, um, of that document into choreography in a little 10 minute <laughs> scene. Um, so I, I worked with the adult dancers to create uh, sort of corridors and, and, and pathways and landscapes for the kids to kind of play in and inhabit. Um, sometimes you see the kids um, crafting the, the adults into shapes and into forms that they could then climb on and, and uh, run around inside. Um, yeah, so that was a, a really interesting uh, process to see if I could bring that idea to life. And then, um, because I was interested in the idea of, of passage as a general theme in the work from, from the borders and the displacements and the, 
um, the, pass the, the promise of safe passage in, in flight pattern to uh, a rite of passage of, 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 child's, uh, of a child moving to adulthood. And again, the idea of safe passage for children. I wanted to look into the third movement uh, of what I was thinking about as kind of the ultimate border crossing, the passage from this life into whatever comes next. Um, so the theme of passage runs through the whole evening in different ways. Mm. I was looking at the Kid Pivot website, and it was talking about themes that have emerged. I, I assume you wrote this or suggested it. Okay. But your work can address addiction. It can address conflict. Um, it can address issues that maybe we don't ordinarily look to dance to speak to. Mm -hmm. um, how, do, how do you get to the concepts? I mean, you don't have to... Yeah. The refugee crisis is certainly right here for us, mm -hmm. and so is the passage of life, but... I think I, I enjoy the feeling of it being, okay, I can't say it that way. I don't enjoy it at all, actually. <laughs> I'm energized and motivated by the feeling of being overstretched, of being a little bit beyond my limit, um, of being um, out of my comfort zone in terms of content, in terms of the, the, the subject or the theme that I'm interested in. I find that when I'm in that state of feeling like I'm inadequate, I guess, in face of the, of the subject, or ill-equipped, or not smart enough, <laughs> um, there's a feeling in me that, uh, it, it, that puts me under tension. And I think that's kind of an energizing force in my creative life. It's not comfortable. I don't like, feel like, like that feeling, but I've noticed that um, I think some of my best work has come out of being in that state, mm -hmm. of feeling very, very vulnerable and kind of terrified of the content that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. um, because I always in a, I'm in a position of, of learning something, of being forced to kind of grow and to, to confront things that I, I can't understand. And often things that, that nobody can understand. Um, so I like those great, big, huge, universal questions. Um, I like trying to be in the process and also in what I put on the stage of being a kind of beautiful question um, that we all gather around and reckon with together. So. I think that's why I tend to gravitate towards that content, or you know, the content that you mentioned, the more difficult content. Um, there's also, a, a, there's always an accompanying uh, joy, I think, and delight mm -hmm. in gathering together with other people to face those things and to see if we can dance anyway and live anyway. And I think that that's also what motivates me is to see that kind of contrast and the pull between those extremes of light and dark, mm -hmm. there's something there too. Yeah. I'm so pleased that Kid Pivot always seems to tour to Seattle because yes. the shows have been powerful. I'm remembering Betroffenheit, which deals with sort of post-traumatic stress disorder and, and in a way that is just lays it out for each mm -hmm. of us to contemplate. Uh, moving to the season's canon, I watched it today. I was actually a little embarrassed because I tried to tell the dancers how good they were, but I was so emotional that I was like, oh, with the warbling oh, voice. Oh, I saw you go like, up and talk to them, and I couldn't really hear what you were saying. Because I couldn't oh. get any words out. That's why you couldn't hear me. Oh, but that's it's, nice. I'm glad you did that. I think there's a universality in 54 people, mm. and I guess where we are in the world today, I, f I feel like we need it. And yeah. I had this moment like, Crystal Pipe might save the world for us. It is powerful, though. Do yeah. You, I mean, this piece, let's talk about it. It refers okay. to the seasons, a sure. little more to nature and, and to that universality. How, how do you yeah. walk us in? Okay. 
Uh, well, the Seasons Canon started with uh, the opportunity to make a, a work for the Paris Opera Ballet. Uh, Easy. <laughs> so that was uh, like walking into another planet and full of, of, of pressure and expectation and terror. Um, and I, I started with music because I had been invited there to, to work with the company, but also with the orchestra. And they had asked me to see if I could find music the orchestra could play. So I did. Yeah. Um, and I chose Max Richter's beautiful The Four Seasons recomposed. I don't know if anybody here has heard that music. Um, it's so incredible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's very moving and very, I have to say half of the emotion that you felt today, I'm, t I'm telling you, is really just from the music. Like I can't take credit for all, all it's really very, very powerful music yeah. and it, it's very moving. So that's, that's nice. I, I definitely have to draft off of that. Um, but the, uh, the, I also then took the, the theme of the seasons um, as a starting out point and um, wanted to see if I could translate some of the beauty of the natural world into the human body and um, into the individual body, but then as you said, into that, that big unison beast, that entity that is made up of 54 people, um, and to see what I could do about choreographing it uh, as one body, as one collective body. And I think that is very um, powerful yeah. to see, is yeah. people aligned in their task like that. Um, I'm always moved by that, and that's why I often choose to work with a big cast when I have the opportunity, because it is powerful. It can also be quite chilling, yeah. you know, and I've used that in, in other ways, like that feeling of the masses or the many kind of aligning in a task can also be quite chilling. So um, either way, yeah. interesting. How was how were the dancers of the Paris Opera? They, you, first time you'd worked with them was this piece. Right. Yeah. Was there the receptivity there and the... Enthusiasm, or? There was. Yeah, great. There was. Yeah. And I, ex I expected, I don't know what I expected. I was very, very nervous walking in there. I didn't know if they would, how they would receive me. Um, and they were so open and they were so kind. And they were really hungry. They really wanted to yeah. do something new. And they were, um, and they were beautiful. And they were vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They were also scared. I found that really quite amazing. Um, so we, we got along really well, and uh, we went on a quite on quite a journey together. It it was it all happened very quickly. I think I made the piece in, in a, just a few weeks. Um, I had done a lot of prep before I went. I choreographed big chunks of it on a group of students that I work with in Vancouver uh, at Arts Umbrella. I've been doing that for years, and I did that with the Seasons Canon and with Flight Pattern, and I think even with Emergence. Mm -hmm. And I did it with uh, Angels Atlas, and I did it with Body and Soul. And I also did it with this piece I just made in London, Light of Passage. So over the years, I've, I've, I've relied on the students to be a kind of like a human sketch pad. Um, I've been able to craft big chunks of those works on the students before I go and I pick up this ready-made uh, chunk of choreography and, and put it on the dancers when I get there. It's a way of me coping with the lack of time. Right. But I also, when I work with the students, I feel like I have more time and I have more courage. Um, to try things and experiment and fail, and, and they, just stand up and unionized either. Yeah, it's hard to get up and, and not know yeah. in, in front of a large group of professional dancers that don't like being in that position at all. So that takes a little bit of that out of it. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk about Eric Boshan a little bit? Because I know he was an important part of it. Yeah. So Eric Boshan is my assistant. He was my assistant when I made. The season's canon in Paris, and now he's here, and he has done an unbelievable job of, of teaching this work, of coaching this work um, on the dancers here, and 
it's a huge task. There's so many steps and counts and patterns and connections and there's a whole vocabulary and um, yeah, just a whole set of ideals that he's also sharing. Uh, he's done such a beautiful job. The dancers are, are beautifully prepared. And so then it's easy for me to just kind of walk in in the last phase of this process and, and just enjoy it, really. Just enjoy it. Like, it's, yeah. it's so satisfying to see them. Well, I hate to break it to you. You're doing a little more than just walking in. <laughs> Crystal has a way of lifting the room. And, and even things that Eric has said and conveyed, but the attention that you have and the articulation and the physical demonstration are, are amazing to watch. And the idea inspiration, too, is, is put out there every single day. Um, as you said, it's a fusion, it's music, it's your contribution, it's uh, lighting elements, mm -hmm. it's costume elements, it's, of course, orchestra, but some of the other collaborators, why don't you introduce yes. them as well? Yes, well, I'd love, I'd love to talk about uh, Jay Taylor, who is my partner and is also the set designer of this work. Um, what you'll see... Uh, can I borrow two pieces of paper? Yes, please. Of course. What take you? Just two blank pieces of paper. I'm going to show them something. Um, Jay has always been fascinated by reflected light. So the light uh, that bounces off the wall and hits the ceiling of of your of your bedroom, or you see the light um, bouncing off. A building and then hitting a building across the street, that sort of magical, milky, uh, almost eerie light that can happen, or the moon. Or, so what does uh, reflected light do in this show? Well, I'll show you. So, what you get this is what you won't see. I'm just gonna sample this. So, <laughs> Okay, so there's a wall like this, and this wall is kind of, uh, it kind of actually does look a lot like this, doesn't it? It does look yeah. like you want me to a lot like this. Wall. Yeah, thanks. So it looks a lot like this, and it uh, hangs upstage, so here's all the dancers, and here's the, here's the gold, and it's gold. It's, got, it's covered in like a, a, a mylar, a gold mylar, so it's very reflective, and it's got a lot of relief. And in front of that is another wall. This. And this wall is thanks, Beth. We've got it now. <laughs> the, the, the wall that's in front is an RP, it's a rough, it's a rear projection screen, and it is translucent. Uh, it can look black, it can look kind of light gray. Um, but you can see you can see through it somewhat. And so what we do, sorry, I need you to hold this one last time. <laughs> what we do is we take lights and we hit this wall and the light bounces off this wall and hits the back of this surface. And what you get are these incredible patterns um, and uh, this reflected, refracted light that bounces off the back wall and then hits the, hits the screen. Um, it's an effect that we're trying to understand why it's so much better than what you could get with video. And we think it's because it's real. Mm. It's because it's, it's real, like you're actually seeing actual light bouncing. It's not, a re it's not a reproduction, it's not a copy. It's the actual thing itself. You'll see when you see it, let's see what you think. It's slightly different every time, right? Or it's it's it, different yeah, every yeah. time, although it should, here now that we've built the, we've done the staging, it should be the same. Okay. Um, but it will change from theater to theater, and you know, things like where the lights are in, in relationship to the back wall, and the distance between the RP and the gold wall, and um, 
the, yeah, the, the, the focus of the lights themselves. So sometimes we're just hitting this, this, this surface with a pinprick of a very, very powerful light. It's like, a, like literally like this big, and it's traveling across it going <laughs> as it moves on the, on the RP. So um, it was the first time that we tried this idea, that Jay tried it, and he worked uh, in collaboration with Tom Visser, our lighting designer, to build all the different looks that you'll see. And then in subsequent performances, and subsequent creations, sorry, other works that we've made, we've continued to investigate this idea. And we've, um, now we've, we've tried a version where this wall actually has an oval cut in the middle of it that spins, and we've tried um, others of the surfaces that come from above and tilt, and a, all kinds of different variations on it. And each time we try it, we discover something new, and uh, we've, it's been our reflective light period. And uh, it's been really lovely. And it was fun to return to the season's time, which was the original, and uh, see how we go back to the root of it. Returning to the season's canon, I mean, you're so invested in a work, building it to premiere, and it, it doesn't take shape until that final moment. What's it like to step away from that work for many years and then come back now to revisit it? Yeah, that's also a great question. I, I wondered what it would be like to revisit the season's canon, because I, I tend to, you know, premiere a work and then not look at it again as I'm on to other things, or, yeah, I just I get to distance. Yeah. So coming back to this, um, it's been very emotional because it was such an incredible experience in my life um, when I made the work and I hear the music um, and instantly just feel all the feelings. <laughs> um, it's, it's thrilling to see it come back to life. I, I still feel, I'm very proud of it. I really love it. I love watching it and I love the dancers in P&B. I love how they're dancing. So that's really satisfying. Um, of course, there's always things to fix and change and tweak and make better. Um, but I love it. I love, I love what it does and what it means and how it makes us feel. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's exciting. And it, yeah, just, it, I think it, it, I don't know if it affirms my choices in terms of working with ballet companies and working with big groups and trying to build this work over in a kind of continuum. So. Yeah, it's been satisfying and very moving to be here. It is sort of a divide, isn't it? There are these large-scale classical ballet companies. I, I know there are companies that fall maybe a little bit in the middle of the two. And then also the work for Kid Pivot. You're, you're about to go into a creation period, is that correct? Uh, yeah. For a new work for Kid Pivot? Yes. What, what's a creation period? How does that go? Oh, so, uh, yes, I'm about to start a new creation for my company, Kid Pivot. Um, this will be the first time making a new work since 2019. Mm. And so the, the, the timeline for, for my own company is very different than what I do in the big ballet companies or other companies um, where I might have five or six weeks to make a piece. Um, with Kid Pivot, I try to take two years to make something. I mean, probably only about 10 to 12 weeks actually working with the actual performers or the dancers, but it's a two-year process with um, my collaborators, uh, particularly Jonathan Young, who is a playwright I've been working with for the last two productions. So he and I have started a while ago already start uh, this, this work. So there's a lot of talk, and there's um, a ball that gets sort of passed back and forth between Jonathan and me, um, usually by email for a while, and then over face-to-face -face meetings. <clears throat> and then there's a point where we kind of have enough research, and we've collected enough ideas, and enough writing has been done, and there's some aspirations, and there's some ideas, and some hopes around what the work could be. Um, what questions we want to ask, 
And then at that point, we invite, we invite the design team in. And so we bring our artistic family in, Nancy Bryant, who um, designed the costumes for the season's canon that you'll see. And, and she basically has designed every piece I've made since I was 25. Yeah. And, uh, and Jay and um, our sound design team, Owen Belton and Meg Rowe and AJ Giuliani, we all get together and we, we then you know, sort of expand the circle of who's thinking about the, about the work. And we have meetings around the tables. And in a good year, we maybe go on a little retreat. We've been to the Banff Center to um, get away from it all and just be together and be with the show, think about what it might be. Also, it's like so nice at that early stage because everything's possible and we're just dreaming and we're blue skying everything and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of the process. And then after that, it starts to get hard. <laughs> then we have to make decisions and we have to deal with things like schedules and budgets and logistics and practicalities and casting and recordings and re-recordings and studio space. All those things start to come in and then doubts come in about what we're doing and then we start to feel the pressure of time. And around then is when the dancers come into the mix. And then we have a burst of excitement because suddenly it's coming to life and we get to see what it looks like in actual human bodies of performers and that's exciting. And then it goes on from there until we open. <laughs> so it's easy. Yeah. It's a piece of cake. Yes, that's why I do it over and over and over. <laughs> there must be moments when someone says, we can't do the gold wall. Like, these, oh, these things can't. Yeah. How do you deal with impossible, or how do you work your way around when you reach those obstacles in that whole long creation process? There's always another way. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's always another way. Actually, some of the things that I learn when I work uh, with a big ballet company that has a big budget, um, and that's exciting and fun to work with, uh, then I feel I think I might dis I might discover something through that process that I can that I can like retool. Um, it's not necessarily about scaling it down either. It's just about like uh, translating it into a more intimate house um, with a really thin budget, like I have in my own company, um, and. Seeing, seeing what principles can, can come from those discoveries and into the work that I do. Um, can pivot, uh, maybe an example of that would be Plot Point. Yeah. Um, Plot Point is a work that the PND has that I made for NDT in, in 2010. Um, and it contained the first German of an idea that I then took and made it to the Tennis Replica, which is a piece I made for my own company. And it was the process of working at NDT and having access to their shops and their builders we discovered the, the white-clad um, replica characters and what they could do and how they could look. Um, so that was also great. It was a whole research and development process that I was able to carry over into my own company. Yeah. So there's like a nice feedback loop, I find, between the work I do in these sort of large-scale situations and then this very small-scale, intimate situation that I have with my own company. I like the contrast of the intimacy and then the sort of epic proportions of those things, um, but there's always something that carries over. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to open it up to all of you for questions in a moment, but I love that you work with those students in Vancouver mm -hmm. and seeing you with the students last night. Um, I did mention we have 18 students that oh, yes. are probably freaking out because they're in this piece, yeah. um, but how has that integration of students in a professional company been in this case for you? You mean working with the, the dancers? The PDs, yeah, yeah. They're, doing, they're doing great. They were doing really, really, really well. And I think they had some quality time with Eric at the beginning, yeah, to, to really work on the, sort of the principles of the vocabulary of the movement. And um, 
they're yeah they're 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 blending in beautifully good. and i hope they're having a good time i hope they're not just terrified they don't seem to be scared i think they they're see... freaking out in the thrilled way okay yeah yeah no they're, so. they're flourishing they're flourishing in there and uh yeah of course we're really grateful to have them in the mix it's yeah. really nice yeah. it's good Thank good you. energy yeah. good spirit yeah that was the outcome of that conversation about 54 dancers and we have 46 dancers yeah and you were the ones that suggested it i think that yeah. your students could do this yeah and they can, yeah. yeah. Questions for Crystal? I'm sure there's some out there. Sure, Sandy. Just to recap, um, Crystal had said previously that um, choosing the topics is important because she will be living with them for a number of years. Mm -hmm. What is it that draws you to these topics in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I'll be living with those questions or that show or that content for, I don't know, it could be six years over the, over the life of the creation and then the premiere and the shows and then the touring and the remounts and the further touring. It can go on and on. Um, so yes, I try to choose carefully what we work with because I want to find content. It's not just me that's going to live with it. It's going to be the performers and our collaborators, our design team as well. Um, so yeah, I want to choose content that will continue to challenge us and will continue to inspire us and move us. That there is enough complexity in it that we can keep digging in it and still find new corners. Um, so it may not be... Uh, might not be the easiest material to live with, but we trust that we will learn from it and grow. So that's kind of what we're reaching for. And even in some of the most difficult work that we've done, I think we've found that. We found great joy and delight inside that difficult territory. And we've been in there together, which is key, right? We've, we've traveled that terrain together. Um, so yeah, and now I'm facing this new creation and it's very early days and I don't know exactly what we're chasing this time. Um, so we'll see, but we'll, I'll be thinking about all those things as we go forward into it. Reviser, uh, March 4th, I heard, opening yeah. the Paramount Great. here in Seattle. Um, can you give a little preview of Reviser? Reviser is the, the most recent show that I made for, for Kid Pivot and I collaborated with Jonathan Young. Um, he proposed the idea that we should use The Government Inspector by Nikolai Gogol as our starting off point, as, an office, like an, as a thing to adapt and stage, which is crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy choice. Um, but I trust him. And it, is, it has turned out to be a very powerful story for us. Um, we wanted our show to be a kind of quest for redemption because there aren't really any redeemable characters in that play. And so we wondered if we could stage it and in the act of staging it, be in a quest for that, for, for this idea of, of redemption. So 
it, the play, it's a farce. It's hilarious. It's really dumb and really fun to work on. Um, the characters are extreme. And we basically um, did a voiceover. So Jonathan adapted the play. We did a voiceover recording with eight actors in Vancouver. Um, and then we lip sync the, basically physically lip sync the text with eight performers on stage. Um, that is kind of like the mask on our show. The farce is kind of like a mask on our show, and we try to peel away the mask and look for all the things that it's actually, that it actually contains. And so then we get into some more abstract territories, more conceptual territories, more dreamlike states, and, and some other kinds of, yeah, the darkness contained within it, big questions inside it. So the, the show really lives on two levels. There's a, the farce level, and then there's everything behind it. And it's been a lot of fun to work. It's got a lot of complexity in it. Like uh, we were saying earlier, that it has enough complexity that we can continue to play it in uh, for a long time. Uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, I think you started to um, get at the root of what, I, what I'd like to hear from you and your views on this. But I love what you're saying about um, that your works start from a place of uh, investigation about a theme or a topic and that something that engages you and that's important to you and I like that and and also I like that um, your your stagings uh, use arts that are native to the performing arts or the time arts so art that happens in, in real time with real people present and done by the people there okay and I, and I love that so um, and, and you talk about these topics as, as having a, a goal of uh, joining people and uh, questioning and learning. So I want to hear from you, like, does art need to have a purpose and does, and not everybody is going to agree with your purpose. So um, if, if it does need to have a purpose, what is that? And if it doesn't need to have a purpose, what is the effect that you're going for and how do, how do the performing arts do that better than, say, um, a religious service or a community mm -hmm. gathering or a college course. Mm -hmm. So why is performing art a mm -hmm. way to get there? That is such a good question. Yes. I will do a messy job of recapping. <laughs> <laughs> An appreciation for the investigation that Crystal has outlined into the process. And also, does art need to have that clear purpose? Uh, can it exist without? Um, and elaborate a bit on that. And how does art... How does art um, do it differently? Unfold, how does art do it better than other kinds of investigation mm -hmm. or gathering? Mm -hmm. I think that's a question I'm, I'm still, I wonder about all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't necessarily think that art needs to have a message. I don't think I want to get art mixed up with activism. Um, I want, I, I love the idea of, of, of seeking meaning and purpose in the things that I make, but I, I do that I do that because that's what I need to be able to make things. I don't set out with a message that I want to get across. I usually set out with a question I'm interested in, and I try to create the space in the work for people to inhabit it in whatever way they want to. Um, I don't want it to be prescriptive. I don't want it to be educational. Um, I don't even set out to, to change the world, even though Peter thinks I can. I think that's adorable. Um, uh, but I think, you know, the that I, I like the idea of kind of create of trying to create the conditions where we can gather together and, and reckon with something together. We're all going to bring our own histories and our own experiences to that moment. Um, I like that. I think there's um, 
I think, I don't know, I mean, I think art is about creating channels um, within ourselves and between each other. Um, it's about thinking about, it's about thinking about these questions in different ways other than social media or through the news or um, and all the other varieties of ways that we try to tackle these issues. Um, so I like the idea that it creates space, that it makes, it makes room for us to think and bring the best of ourselves, um, that it, it, it asks us to lean in and to participate in, in thinking rather than just receiving. And I certainly, when I, when I go to the theater, that's what I want to be, to be participating in something that I can um, inhabit. I want to be invited to participate in it as opposed to being told. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what I would strive for. But I certainly don't set out with each of my projects to say, I'm going to fix this now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fix people, <laughs> the way they think. Um, I'd like to work on fixing myself and working on the way that I think, maybe through the process of making things, but I'm not going to expect that of anybody else. It's also just such a privilege to have an opportunity to make something and share something. So I don't want to squander it. And I think that's also why I often gravitate towards these big questions, because I have the opportunity to make space for those, for that kind of thinking and that kind of exchange between people. So I don't want to waste it by um, by, by not being rigorous about the way I'm thinking and sharing. I mean, it was an, I just, I made a piece in May for Netherlands Dance Theatre called Figures in Extinction. And it was a collaboration with Simon McBurney of Complicite. It was a really exciting um, uh, co-creation co for me. And, um, we were confronting a lot of those questions. Like we wanted to do something about the climate crisis. We really did. We didn't feel like we wanted to focus on anything else but that. But we were trying to figure out how do we put something on stage that is a work of art as opposed to a piece of activism? How do we um, put something on stage that isn't uh, prescriptive and educational but actually uh, is more like portraiture or, or, or choreography? <laughs> you know, so that we were trying to figure out how to get at these themes that would touch people and move people without telling them how to think, and also trying to create the space to share the feeling of powerlessness that we have, to share the feeling of loss that we all feel around these issues. I wanted to um, make a space like that. Um, whether we did that or not, I don't know, but that's what, we were, that's what we were confronting as we created it. It's an ongoing question. Great answer, thank you. Yes? You've touched a couple times on your love of the individual versus the collective, that tension between individual and group. And I have never been in your shoes, but I assume when you meet a company that some companies have a stronger force toward maybe the group or maybe the individual. I'm just wondering where P&B fits into that. And for you and Eric, from a coaching standpoint, what was unique about P&B and that needed to be sort of either pushed or addressed? either for the individual or the group. Yeah, question and observation about working from individuals and groups and, and coming to PMB, what did you find here? How, did that, how was that different? I mean, I think the content of the works, uh, certainly with Emergence and, and also with The Seasons Canon, the content itself de determines how we are together in the studio. Um, 
how we treat each other and like what is the meaning of the work. The meaning of the work is about the connection, about unity, um, about cr trying to create one body, a collective body that we all participate in. Um, so the meaning of the work, I think, determines the way we respond to each other. And it, it kind of, it cancels out all hierarchies and um, it's a real equalizing force, I think. And I think that the dancers here and actually everywhere that I've gone understand that right away and actually crave that. Um, when they really understand the meaning and purpose of the work, then they dive right in um, and connect to each other in a very beautiful way. And yeah, I think the work itself structures it that is a structure that invites that. Yes. Um, different kind of question. So <clears throat> the, um, the audience response to this piece in Paris was something that's unheard of really in Paris. Um, and I'm wondering if you were there to see it live and whether that has an impact on what you were thinking about your work afterwards. An observation that the audience response in Paris was crazy. Um, <laughs> and actually, I think the same thing happened in London because I looked on the website. Every seat in, in the Royal Opera House was sold out immediately right after the premiere. Um, but were you there to see it? I'm sure you were. And oh, I was the, there. Yeah. <laughs> I was there just sweating. I mean, I always watch every premiere just through it like a fog of fear. Um, but I was there to, to experience the response, um, which was very exciting and wonderful. And I think some of the emotion I feel about coming back here and revisiting the Seasons Canon is connected to that. That was most one of the most extraordinary, beautiful moments of my life was was experiencing that. Um, <laughs> okay, that's lore now. That's just that's not <laughs> You were there. You were actually there. Yeah. You were there. Wow. Wow. That's Boy, awesome. I, this audience is excited now. <laughs> <laughs> now we gotta, we gotta lower the expectations. <laughs> Next time, we carry my really like, just yeah, please. I don't want to disappoint you. I think we have two more questions. <laughs> if, if I see hands, yeah, sure. Yeah, so moving around from company to company and country to country by turn. How do you um, adapt and sort of bring your vision into the studio with each group? Well, when I'm, I'm coming into a company that I don't know at all, like I don't know a soul in the company, then I usually just start by um, setting phrases of movement on them. And, and it becomes a, a way of getting to know each other. Um, we can get, you know, that becomes the choreography itself becomes a teaching tool where we can really get at some of the ideals and the values of what we're sure what what's contained in it. Um, and through that process, I very quickly can find the people in the company that take to it easily, and then those that struggle. And depending on what it is that I want to do, I just try to choose accordingly. Um, I've been trying to, you know, I work with these giant casts, and usually inside any large company, I can usually find a handful, like a handful of dancers that, um, that really flourish in the vocabulary I'm interested in working with. Um, the rest, given enough time, can do anything, right? We don't have all that much time, so I have to work to their strengths and I have to find a meeting point um, where we can build something that's strong together. And so sometimes my strategy has been to, like working with a large group, is to work with vocabulary that's actually quite simple. 
Um, so simple uh, choreographic phrases or structures in the individual body, um, but spread over 54 bodies can get a kind of complexity and a kind of power that you wouldn't find just in one. So I've been relying on the big group to help me get at the complexity that I'm interested in, and then trying to hone in and find um, those you know handful of individuals that we could go further in. And those often end up being the dancers are more featured, that may have a solo or a duet, and uh, we build from there. What I love even more than that, though, is when I get to return to a company, and I know people better, and that dancer that maybe took a month to get from here to here is now still there, and I can pick up from that place, and we can go further. And it's so satisfying to build on that understanding and on that trust and on what happens over time. Um, and, and also the fact that they've worked with many other choreographers in the meantime, and they've They've learned from other contemporary choreographers, so their practice is, is uh, deepened, and I get to reap the rewards of that. <laughs> Last question. Hi, it's such an honor to be here. Um, I'm a student at UW, and there's a lot of us here, and my question is, what's one piece of advice you'd give a beginning choreographer? Uh, student from University of Washington, and uh, just a question of uh, appreciation first, and then what is advice you'd give to a choreographer? Um, it's so simple what I'm about to say. I can't think of anything better, which is just make, 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 build, build, build. Don't wait um, to start making things. You can start choreographing anywhere at any time, on your own body or with pieces of paper in a cup. There's so much to do um, in terms of working on your craft. And I think it's in the process of building and working and making that you start to find out who you are and all of that. The work itself will teach you. And the act of building sometimes will distract you long enough that inspiration can kind of flow in. That's what I found. Um, I think it's maybe like a secondary piece of advice to that is that um, I don't, that I'm going to receive any inspiration, um, but I know that I can keep working anyway. I think it was Jonathan Burroughs, the choreographer Jonathan Burroughs, said, inspiration is useful if you can get it, but working is more useful. And I really take that to heart. It makes me feel like I have some kind of control. Like, I know I can control how much I work. can't control inspiration, but I can do that, so I trust, I trust in my ability to work um, and build and make and we reap the rewards. Thank you so much for sharing these insights. That was our arts and crafts project. Yeah. <laughs>